0: you listen to Irish Radio Canada, at Home and Abroad. And Reece, there was a conference of uh, the UN Glob- Young Global Parliamentarians or Global Young Parliamentarians Conference was held in Ottawa. And there were representatives from all over the world. And Ireland was represented by a young politician from Limerick and a young politician from Dublin. And uh, Tom Neville from Limerick and Jack Chambers from Dublin. And we're going to hear from both of them uh, today. Uh, First of all, we're going to hear from Tom Neville who is a member of Fine Gael uh, representing Limerick County. And uh, while this was for young parliamentarians, Tom um, probably has a grey hair or two because he is the elderly age of 42. And Tom's political career, uh, he was co-opted back in 2003 onto Limerick County Council got involved in politics, um, has a varied uh, career in technology, IT sales, recruitment in IT, engineering, digital marketing and during the hard times in Ireland saw that times were struggling and emigrated to Australia um, and then returned and got back into politics and he's a keen actor and has uh, trained professionally in that in Sydney and Australia, and a former techno DJ and a Liverpool fan. Uh, so an awful lot well, he's also a member of Ratkeel Boxing Club, so we're not going to mess around. Tom, welcome.
1: Hi, Austin. How are you, and good out- afternoon and, and hello to all your listeners there in Canada. It's great to be on the show.
0: Great. So you're just back from uh, visiting Ottawa, uh, from the frigid temperatures of Ottawa to the frigid tempers of, temperatures of Ireland.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just to, to correct one or two of your introductions there, most of the grey hairs have been cut off. I've bled one from the back and side, so that's getting rid of all the grey hairs if there's any there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Yeah, I had a great, great, great few days in Ottawa. It's fantastic to see it. It was my first time in Canada. I'd never been before, so it was something I was always interested in, the place I was always interested in seeing, because obviously I know from my own time when I was left for Australia there at the crash in, you know, 2010, early 2010, so many people I knew were going to Canada and continued to go to Canada, so it's of intrigue, it was Australia and Canada where people were going, to, the new age, as I say, immigrants w- w- was going to at the time, but obviously, look, I know there's a huge historical connections between uh, Canada and Ireland, particularly as suppose around Newfoundland and, and everything, it's an area that I've, I've always wanted to, to try and visit as well But it was just, it was just great to be there, interesting to see it, I didn't get much time um, I think we arrived on the Thursday evening, worked on the Friday Saturday and were gone again Sunday morning so I'm hoping to return and get a bit more recreational time to, to have a closer look at the, the, the country and obviously maybe meet some of the Irish community out there
0: Right. It was young, uh, Global Young Parliamentarians, and I noticed there was the fourth conference, I think. So, obviously, there's a move afoot to bring guys like you together so that you can learn from each other rather than just find yourself in the fishbowl that would be national politics at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you can get a very blinkered view and a very institutionalised view if, if you're kind of in the same environment all the time, and I think this is part of the interparliamentary union of which... The republic of ireland is a member of um i think there's a number like 150 parliaments members of this interparliamentary union i think about 50 to 55 states had representatives in canada um, at the time uh you know and it was all young parliamentarians uh, you, i know you've given my age from the outset that i might be slightly more mature of the young uh, parliamentarians but i'm only in in parliament 20 21 months um and I, I, I think it's more of a generational thing, to be honest, Austin, uh, You know, I, I would kind of, I suppose, if I was to put a label on myself, I call myself Generation Y. I kind of straddle maybe X and Y, but I call myself more Generation Y. I would be, I would have a lot in common with the millennials, you know. Uh, in relation to the use of tech, particularly around the use of technology and my background, my previous private sector background in working in technology and working in digital. Um, But really the conference was about challenging the norms and as they said, like, uh, and this is just across the board, they were looking at uh, at us as the future leaders of tomorrow. They know that we would grow within the system and obviously come up the ranks within the system and and within our, our own countries and we would be the key decision makers of tomorrow, the close decision makers of tomorrow and i think it was a fuel of 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 that and one of the major discussions was around you know connecting with young people how are we going to get young people in the western world connected with politics again to start voting to to move from from moving away from apathy and obviously there has to be a level of engagement and a, a responsibility on the political establishments to be able to do that now they haven't been able to do that over the past number of years but it's becoming more and more of a priority and to the forefront, giving given some of the rise of or a rise of different radical political movements, particularly in Europe. So you know, by getting young people engaged at an early age in politics and getting them engaged in the, for want of a better word, mainstream, will divert from the growth of 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 we'll say a radical, more extremist political views. Um, and for me, as a moderate or, or, or part of the centre, that's what I want to see happen as well. Because when you can engage young people from a very young age in politics, you can see that there is a loyalty that will go through most of their lives in relation to that. So I think that's something the Western world is grappling with at the moment. Um, you see Brexit has happened. You see the likes of the rise of the far right in Europe at the moment. You know, Euro-skepticism So it is really, uh, you know, up to the powers that be in the political establishment, I suppose, speaking broader within Europe and and in my own country, Ireland, to connect with those young people, uh, bring them into the fore, use their ideas, allow them the channel of communication in which their ideas can be listened to and put into practice.
0: But Tom, in fairness, you are in a fortunate position in that, you know, the Taoiseach is young. Yeah, younger than me. And many of those he has surrounded himself with are young. So the government in Ireland is a young government. Yes. However, in many cases, and we've seen that happen in in France as well and some other countries Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. there have been younger people elected. But in many cases, the establishment, as it is known, is quite solid. And I wonder, is the establishment in those situations open to listening To the younger voice.
1: Yeah, look, that was one of the the points that was brought up during the conference, particularly by my colleague that was with me, um, Jack. He he actually mentioned that that, you know, we can all stand here and, you know, read lovely speeches that are scripted and everything but if we're not actually challenging the system or if the system doesn't allow us challenge, uh, you know, then there is a problem. I can't speak for any other country. All I can speak for is Ireland. I think one of the big factors in relation to that is how our electoral system works so if you look at ireland we have a proportional representational type system okay so mm-hmm. it gives more it gives you know there's two of this there's, there's a far and against all these things like the 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 far is that it gives more of a broader representation of what people want it also leaves it open for newer candidates to come in you know they take maybe the fourth or fifth seat or third seat of a Uh, uh, Of a constituency, and it's based on transfers, you know, vote three, vote four, vote five. If you're in a first past the post system, then it can be very kind of all or nothing, black or white, one way or the other. So, I mean, I I think that that has a lot to do with it as well, you know, and obviously first past the post would favour more established type candidates. I can only speak for my own situation. Um, You know, in, in, in Ireland, if you're a newer candidate, oftentimes people will go what they know. Um, they'll go with what they have worked with Ireland's very small um, so it's quite colloquial and it is quite relationship orientated as opposed to big brands of the far left or the right or or big party brands like the two established parties still would hold the bulk of the vote but that has decreased Um, there's been a number of factors in that voter loyalty has changed obviously which I, I actually welcome which I think voters are more objective so it keeps the likes of myself as a politician on my toes um, but but also you know economic circumstances have had 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 a play with that and and you do see in the opinion polls at the moment the two major parties are starting to rise, but you know there's obviously been changes. And I can speak for my own party. At the top there was a new crew of TDs that came in in 2011, a new crew again in 2016, and they have they are now coming through the system, and you've seen a change with a new leader. The more established people in the party recognize that they want to a younger leader, a leader who's a millennial. I think Leo's is 37, 38, come up from that mm-hmm. background and that we needed to move that way. So there, there is a movement in that. And if you see it in France it has happened, you see it in Canada with Justin Trudeau, um, mm-hmm. you know, the way things have, have, have progressed there. And obviously in the age of social media, modern media, um, the transfer of knowledge – between countries now particularly in the western world is a lot more heterogeneous you know you're learning and you're seeing what's happening and trends that are happening in other countries are having an influence on what's happening in our own country because of social media whereas 20 years ago you wouldn't have been at a breast of what's happening in Canada in Ireland and what you would today so all those have a knock-on effect uh, on that and you know, politics has movements, as I said in my speech, similar to the artistic fields. You know, you've looked at it down through the years. You have art, music, and politics; they all kind of move in mediums. And this, thankfully, at the moment, you're looking at a movement towards the more moderate, liberal, democratic, uh, centrist uh, type parties. But these parties have to succeed, uh, um, because if they don't, um, I, I, you know, my reservation would be what would be looked at or thought. Sought as, as an alternative.
0: That raises a few interesting points. Um, and I'll come back to one being that your four years in Australia would have obviously given you a life experience and mm-hmm. political experience of different mm-hmm. cultures and different ways things are done. But you mentioned that if there is a move to the centre, where traditionally, whether it be in Ireland, that you're yeah. Fianna Fáil, Gael, who are somewhat centrist,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then if you you go to the UK and at times you know the difference between used to be far more uh, pronounced between the Conservative and the Labour Party Mm -hmm. um, that is there a danger that um, the likes of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are potentially being squeezed to the middle um, Mm -hmm. and that the ability for both to maintain a centrist base uh, while what would be um, more Um, I want a farther right or farther left gain traction uh, at your expense and what I mean more in a way is you're actually competing for the same piece of ground
1: yeah you could, you could you could say being pushed or I only speak for my own party or choosing to be where we are yeah, I mean the philosophy of of what's been used by Finnegay is taking the new centres. Taken, you know, it's not having these blinker views about right or left. It's it's taking what's best for the left and taking what's best for the right and implementing that, and not having these blinker views. Well, I'm a left wing politician. I'm not going to put in something that's that's seen as centre right, or I'm a right wing. I'm not going to put in something that seems left. It's not being afraid to be able to take these on board and going. You know what? For where our country is, that is a good idea. We should implement that policy. So it's a different way of viewing that. And if that policy works and you are connecting with young people and, and and rowing them in behind you, you're actually eroding what's on the far right and eroding what's on the far left, which we're actually starting to see what's happening in Ireland because you do have the growth of the centre-right, center centre-left or centre parties in Ireland. They're starting to erode the fringes. That's showing in the opinion polls. So, I mean, and, and that obviously the policies at the moment that are being put into play are having economic fruition. You see in yourself down through history that the growth of any extremists or anything on the left or right usually comes at a time of economic breakdown. And obviously I don't have to tell anyone of what happened here in, in, in Ireland in 2008 was an economic catastrophe. So that's where you gave rise to the to, to the likes of, of the the. the the fringe type ideologies in which people are looking for something. They were like, well, look, the established or the center crashed. So where, you know, you, you saw it in Germany in the Weimar Republic, you know, that's how the far right r- rose because it was in a time of complete economic depletion. So it's a relationship with with, 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 with the political movement, with, with your policy, but also what your people what your people want and what you can give your people. So I always learned in politics, there's a time to represent, there's a time to lead. But the big conundrum is always choosing which is be- which is the one to do at the time. And as a politician and an empowered politician, that's the time based on the circumstances and the environment and what you're at. That th- that's the decision you have to
0: make. So, Tom, what would you say you then brought back from Australia?
1: I, I worked as a recruiter in Australia first. For I had worked in recruitment in Ireland, and I got to recruit and work and meet people and interview people from all over Asia. So, first of all, my level of understanding and knowledge of Asia was completely minuscule before I left. Um, I had a good understanding of the United States and Canada and Western economies of, of, of Europe and how they operated and the cultures. I, I had no understanding of Asia, to be quite honest with you. I knew of that I had a kind of a helicopter view that I would read in the media, but I, I learned so much about the East and about Asia, about their cultures, about the different countries, just the sheer size and volume of people that live in Asia is phenomenal, and because it's so far away from Ireland, different time zones, uh, eastern cultures, and the myriad of cultures and the mixture of cultures there, um, it, for me, for my own personal development, it was something I loved. But it, for, for what more of that is I learned how to integrate with those type of cultures, because Australia is a very fluid culture. It's a mixture of a myriad of cultures there, and, and, and continues to be over the next, over the last five to ten years, was to work with those people, learn about those people, you know, how, how, how we can work together with them. But also market my own country to them, because if you talk to somebody in, we say, in the middle of Bangladesh or or somewhere in Southeast Asia, they would probably, number one, if they know even Ireland exists, if they knew, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, Ireland, yeah, where is that? Maybe, yeah, okay, it's in New York somewhere. They may even make the assumption that Ireland is part of the UK. I met people from Australia that made the assumption that the Republic of Ireland was part of the UK, you know? Mm -hmm. So it gave me a chance to educate people as well. I'm just talking about, you know, people going about their ordinary day-to-day lives. There was nothing politically motivated by what they were saying. It was just people going about their normal day-to-day lives, like maybe... Some years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, people would kind of very bracket Australia and New Zealand has been the same, you know, and they're not. Two mm-hmm. completely different countries, you know. Mm-hmm. But it also got a, it gave us a chance then, particularly there was such a volume of, of us that went over in 2010, same in, in, in Canada, that when we did get, go to Australia, we were probably the first, I would say, and I, I I speak very generally the first generation that were you know we were our country thank God and our mom's great for it, educated us and the generation before us educated us the education that they didn't have when they had to leave um and and we went over in, and we were able to you know go in and gain positions high up in industry that we may not have been able to do in the past um and that gave us a platform and and also gave us the ability to be able to influence decision makers in these other countries and 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 allow us to be able to market what we have in a different format to 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 to, to what these other countries did as well, you know. So and that's not taking it back and no disrespect to the generations before when they left, you know. Um, but our generation, thanks, you know. I mean, you know, we 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 were higher up the education ladder for once to speak with, as opposed to people who left in the sixties or left in the seventies when was it 1968, second level education only became free. So there mm. was a different slant to it. The flip side of that as well was there was social media. I went to Australia in the late 90s and there was no social media. There was social media now as well, so a lot of that could be networked and, and you'd have the transfer of knowledge. So I think it gave, it, gave, it, gave our, it gave a lot to our country, you know, when when the likes of us started coming back. We were the first generation then, I believe, to, to who left, who came back within a short space of time. So... Whereas anyone that left in the 80s, a lot did come back. They came back in the boom. They came back in the late 90s or the early 90s. They had been gone for 20 years. Here a generation had left four years maybe and started to come back again. So there was a lot more integration going on. The world is a smaller place. So I think that benefited our country as well and that we were able to absorb uh, what was in those other cultures and bring it back and use it as an influence in, in propelling our country and progressing our country, which which has to be said like it's gone from the whipping boy of Europe to the poster boy of Europe in the recovery.
0: Well Tom, I could stay talking to you for hours but we don't have hours so I'm going to have to wrap up on that. And before I wrap up, um, I only wish I'd been in Ottawa that weekend because that, I would have loved to have sat in on some of the, the yeah. papers that were being presented in the discussions. Um, but uh, certainly it gives me great comfort to know that there's um, this type of coming together of what as you Mm -hmm. described are the future leaders not just in Ireland but uh, around Mm -hmm. the democratic world and that Mm -hmm. the relationships and network that you build out of that also is going to benefit Mm -hmm. so I I know one of the things you did when you were out in Australia as well as I mentioned up front was you spent (laughs) some time as a DJ so given if I can ask you to put the DJ hat back on on the number one haircut there, um, which you probably didn't have in those (laughs) days (laughs) What would you suggest we we entertain the listeners with?
1: Well, well, look, my DJing days were over when I was in Australia. I actually used to DJ in Limerick, so I'm going to keep it a very, very Limerick theme. Um, And uh, obviously, look, the the, the biggest international band that ever came from Limerick was the Cranberries. Um, They're still uh, loved today uh, and, and still going forward. And and you know if we're to play a track, I, I, to play a track out, I I, I think uh, there would be uh, uh, no better track to play than than from the the, the cranberry. So you could uh, you have a plethora of tracks to pick from there. But I mean maybe something like one of their biggest hits, such as linger or something like that, would would. Uh, or Zombie, maybe, would be a nice good hard guitar track. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> might be might be, it might be, a good one to go with, but you
0: know. Tom Devil, I want to thank you for taking the time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, and it's been very educational and informative.
1: Thank you, Austin. Enjoyed it. Enjoyed it immensely.